Good morning. I'm just absolutely delighted to be with you this morning. I mean that. And there's folks here with us online. There's folks here with us in the room. McLean already prayed. It is Memorial Day weekend. And on Memorial Day, we remember people who not just served, but who gave their lives. And they did it to protect freedom the way we've experienced it for 250 years. And part of that is freedom to practice our religious faith. You go looking around, you're going to find out. Just pick a country, North Korea, India. You get chased down, in jail, have your job, property taken away, maybe even executed. It's not. There are other countries where freedom to practice religion is alive and well, and we're one of them, and for this we're grateful. We should also be praying and doing whatever we can to make this possible in any country on the planet. But that's, I digressed. So what I wanted you to do, I want you to look up at that right there. You see what's going on here. You have... And you didn't, maybe you noticed, maybe you not. But in the video, we start out, it was, it was uh, grayscale and white. The, we started out with one white fish that turned and started going against the grain. And then there was a second. And there was a third and a fourth and a fifth. And you can see that displayed in the image we're using here. This, my friends, is no accident. These artists who are using their sacred imagination to build for us this thing called the chosen, what they're showing there is really clear. The first fish is Jesus. And over time, other fish are saying, wait a minute. See, here's what's happening. In a second, a fish follows and another, another. And here's what's going on. The fish are talking to their, pal they're talking to their pals. And they're saying, hey, man, look what I heard. And the next thing you know, a fish goes, cool. I want in on that. And we have more and more and more fish. The movement of people who've decided to turn, change directions and follow Jesus is growing. That's what's getting illustrated in this. When you watch chosen number four to be ready for next Sunday, when you watch chosen number four to be ready for next Sunday, it goes slowly through the introductory video and watch what I'm saying. Again, it's displayed here in the still scene, but we're seeing the movement grow. It's growing here at First Press. More and more people are sensing the goodness of God and our relationships with each other that are real. They're real with each other because they're real first with Jesus, and therefore our lives are changing, and people want in on that. You need to know that. You want in on it. I want in on it. I want to be different. And I want to be different with other people who want to be different. And so we're swimming in some ways, and maybe many ways, against the current. But here we are. We're doing it together. So that's what this is about. And I just want to, and I want to encourage you to notice these fantastic features in the literally in the artistry of what's going on there. Today, we're in It's Chosen. We're asking the question, what does it mean to be chosen? And we're in week three. And you're ready? Here is what it means to be chosen today. I'm kind of excited about this one. Well, I'm excited about everything, but I'm excited about this one. What does it mean to be chosen? Here's the answer. If you are chosen, you are cherished. You're cherished. Now, in a, in a self-deprecating way, I'm going to have a little fun making you aware of some of the ways that I wanted to be cherished. <laughs> so here's how we're going to do that. When I was a kid in high school... There was a California, duh, pop band called The Association. 
And I liked them. It was the beginning of rock and roll happened, and you had pop versions of it, et cetera. But there was this band called The Association. It was six men, and they had really intricate vocals. And I liked the musicality of their vocals because you could hear the various musical parts, and it sounded good. It was nice and clean. Okay, and they had some popular songs. One was called Windy. We're not going through that one. One was called Along Comes Mary. One was called Never My Love. But the one that I wanted to tell you about today is called Cherish. Huh? How about that? Cherish. So watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to play for the first 47 seconds off of YouTube of Cherish. Bruce, get ready. Okay, and you guys online will be able to hear it. He's making the house hot so that this is going to work. That's what's going on right now. I had it all set up on my device. I'm not going to have device failure today. There it is. So let me get my microphone up against this. Here it comes, 47 seconds, the association cherish. And listen to the lyrics, but don't you worry, I have them for you after I finish this. Like many, many pop rock and roll songs, this is a song about unrequited love. Now, you don't know what unrequited means, so I'm going to tell you what it means. It means not reciprocated. It means not returned. So that's what this is about. This, it's a lament to use a biblical way of doing it. If you could have a good one like this in the song, why, oh God, won't she love me? Well, that's my story. You know what I'm saying? So I had one, I was a freshman in high school, and I was in love with her. She wouldn't come within 10 feet of me. <laughs> but this is one that I fell in love with. I think I started thinking of laughing at myself, thinking, about, oh, I didn't read the lyrics for you. Oh, I'm sorry, I got to do this first. Hang on, I have this right here in my technology. I got the whole... <laughs> it worked. It worked. What happened? There we go. Here we go. This is what you heard sung. Cherish is the word I use to describe all the feelings that I have hiding here for you inside. You with me? You've, you've been unrequited before? You've been unreciprocated? You've been in love and have it not returned back? Okay, settle, sit in with me, especially when you're a sappy dramatic in high school. So here we go. You don't know how many times I've wished that I had told you. You don't know how many times I wished that I could hold you. You don't know how many times I wished that I could mold you into someone who would cherish me as much as I cherish you. And, of course, the writer is writing because it never worked out very good. That's unrequited. It means unreturned, unreciprocated. And that was my experience. Now, here, here's the really bad part. 
she was dating my best friend. <laughs> and, I, and I had to hear about it. And he knew. <laughs> so so here, here is what I want to make sure we understand. Unrequited means not reciprocated. Oh, you're cherished. But here's what's happened to you. Like the fish that heard from their pals, there's something really good going on. God made you and loves you. And one fish turns and starts to follow Jesus. And then that fish is swimming against the grain to tell the other fish, hey, hey, no, 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 come on with me. And here we are. We're, I don't know if this is a word or not, but we're requiting. You are. That's what you're doing. You are choosing to say, I am cherished. And therefore, whoosh, change directions and start following the one that loves me. What we're seeing in the Chosen series to help us move to understand cherish, because you are cherished. Jesus seems to display this in the way he treats children. So what we're going to do is watch a, a long clip of Jesus interacting with children. And I want to prompt you by thinking it's all imagination. And in fact, he's going to quote Isaiah 61, which was re is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, but it's in a synagogue. It's not out with children. It's, again, it's creative imagination about what Jesus would have been like with children. Notice that he respects them. In a sense, he's prioritizing them. Here's what he's doing. He's cherishing them. Enjoy this clip, watching Jesus imaginatively play with young Jewish boys and girls. <laughs> So what did you do? I tried to walk away, but he wouldn't stop pushing me. So I pushed him so hard he fell down. And that's why you were punished. Did you expect something different? But even Torah says eye for eye. Why should I be punished too? Yes, but that is for a judge. You were hardly in a court of law. And you, all of you, are to be special. You are to act differently than others. You tell us to be gentle, but Rabbi Josiah said Messiah would lead us against the Romans, that he would be a great military leader. It is important to respect your teachers and honor your parents. And Rabbi Josiah is a smart man. But many times, smart men lack wisdom. Is there anything in scripture that says Messiah will be a great military leader? There are many things about scripture that you cannot understand yet, and that is okay, that is fine. You have many years ahead of you, and God does not reveal all things at once. But children, what if many of the things that our people think about how we are to behave and how we are to treat one another are wrong? You want things to be fair. When someone wrongs you, you want to right it. And you know who else loves justice? But what does the Lord say in the law of Moses about justice and vengeance? Vengeance is mine. Yes, very good. Very good. Boys, pay attention. She doesn't even go to Torah class, huh? <laughs> the Lord loves justice. But maybe it is not ours to handle. Do you remember when David had the chance to kill King Saul, who was evil to him? didn't. Saul was God's anointed. 
and it was not the right time for justice. And God says he will have compassion on his people when... What? Let's see if someone who studies this at school is learning, huh? When their strength is gone? Yes, very good. So, maybe we let God provide the justice. Hmm? Maybe we handle these things in a different way. Not trying to be the strongest all the time. Even Messiah? You will have to see. But do not expect Messiah to arrive in Jerusalem on a tall horse carrying weapons. And he will be most pleased with those of you who are the peacemakers. Where were you yesterday? I had to stay in town later on. There was a woman who needed my help. Did you bug something for her? No. You remember when I said that I have a job that is bigger than my trade? There is a woman who has had much pain in her life. And she was in trouble. So I helped her. Is she your friend? She is now. And I have chosen her and others, and more soon, to join me in traveling. Do they know you? Not yet. But what if they don't like you? <laughs> Many won't. This is my reason for being here. I still don't understand. What is your reason for being here? I'm telling you this. Because even though you are children, and the elders in your life have lived longer, many times, adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith, really tightly, someday soon, you will understand all of what I am saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah. I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me, like you have. In the gospel accounts, when Jesus is approached by little children, his handlers try to push the children away. He's too important. They aren't important enough. And what Jesus says is, hey, don't do that. And then Jesus, after having imaginatively seen a scene like that, Jesus says, hear, adults, 
is what I want you to do. I want you to have a faith like a child. That's what I want you to do. Receive me the way children do. Just leap into my lap. Children, no pretense, no hiding, no, no falseness. They just show up and they are what they are. And they, there they go into Jesus' lap. And, and why? Because they know without cognition. They don't have to be told. They're cherished. And they can tell. They know he cherishes them. People feel cherished before they even realize that's what's happening. And children illustrate it both in this imaginative, beautiful thing, but also in the Gospels themselves, if you want to look. You, I'm repeating myself, you're cherished. I'm cherished. I have some Bible bullets to prove it for you. You ready? I, I didn't put these up on the screen. I just want you to look at me online and here in the room. I just want you to look at me and listen. I'll tell you the text I'm reading and then read it to you. Here's, here's what this is trying to say. You are cherished. I am cherished. Psalm 17:8. Keep me the apple of your eye. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified, terrified or afraid because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. Cherished. Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing with joy. Cherished. Psalm 119, verse 64. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Cherished and response. Psalm 130, verse 7. Israel, first prayers, community, world. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, written by the Apostle Paul after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Friends, cherished, redeemed, bought back. Luke tells a story of Jesus telling a story. And here's the context. You, you've heard this a million times. We're going to hear in just a minute the parable of the prodigal son, only the first one, the little brother. But I'm just reminding you of the context in the verse, verses that introduce Luke 15, the parable of a lost sheep, then a parable of a lost coin, and then beginning at verse 11, a parable of the lost sons. But verses 1 and 2 are setting it up. Jesus is around some Pharisees and teachers of the law, religious leaders, who've lost their heart because they're grumbling and they're making it a bad thing that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. They're grumbling. How could he actually hang out with these people? The reason he can hang out with them is because they're cherished. 
That's the reason he can't. And so then Jesus tells a parable. So the Greek word for parable is parabole. It's a Greek way in the Bible of translating a Hebrew word for the same kind of thing, mashal. So a mashal, that is a parable, a parabole, is a story that's trying to make one point. So you want to be careful not to go too heavy into the details. You can mess with them a little bit. It's not an allegory. Pardon me for the literary lesson. An allegory is on purpose written so we dig around in all the details to try to figure out what each one of them means. Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. It's an allegory. The parables of Jesus are meant to give a story that gets mostly at a main point. And in the lost sheep and in the lost coin and in the lost sons, we're looking at the heart of God and we've already set the stage, a heart of God that cherishes us. So here, I'm going to read through it and then we're going to have a fun time kicking a couple of details around about it. So here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Anybody relate yet? Here we go. After that, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and I'll kill it and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Friends, the point here is not estate planning. Okay, don't let that happen. The point is not about parental guidance with a lost one. That's not the point here either. You don't, don't, don't get lost thinking, well, he should have done something else. Don't do that. The point, mashal, parabole, parable, is to try to get a sense of the main thrust of the story. And the main thrust of that story is a father's huge heart. Now, we could stop and wonder with our imaginations, how, how does a son get lost? And I'd, I'd invite you right now in your own mind, how'd that kid get lost? 
Well, the first thing is he lost something so as to so dishonor his father. So in one of the reasons this would shock the Hebrew ears that heard it was that for this young man to say this to his dad, he's saying, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead. You're dead. And in the chosen story, Matthew, the tax collector, who we haven't met yet, Matthew, the tax collector, says to the Roman guy who's guarding him while he's collecting taxes, he said, he's, he's, Matthew tells the Roman guy, the, Matthew's own father, so resents that Matthew became a traitor that Matthew's father says, I don't have any sons. Matthew had been disowned. In a shame and honor culture for this young man to say, give me mine, was pronouncing death against his dad. He got lost. I don't know, lust, immaturity, maybe he's jealous, maybe he's fundamentally insecure because of his high-performing older brother. Who knows? Totally lost. And there's another culturally shocking thing. He's taking care of pigs? No, 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 no. Hebrew people don't take care of pigs. And then to say, I can't even get at what they're eating? So what I want you to understand is that the shock of this for them is, in, is in, increased and dra dramatized by this offensive shame behavior of renouncing his sonship and then eating and hanging out with pigs. But notice it said, when he came to his senses, remember the fish turning? Yeah, you remember? They're right here. So see what happens is, there's his part. See, the, the fish has a part to play. Every fish, you have a part to play. You have to decide. I have to decide, wait a minute. I'm hearing some really good stuff. I have to choose. But there's also God's part, which is the big part. It's the cherished part. It's the heart part. It's the part that says, I loved you right now. And as we say at first prayers, just as you are. Come as you are. It's okay not to be okay. That's what we say at First Presbyterian Church. He's cherished. Not here's, here's how God cherishes that boy, and here's how God cherishes you. Not some future better version of you. And some of us are waiting, well, I'm not going to release myself like a child, just no pretense. I'm not releasing myself into God's hands to trust him fully because i got to get this stuff cleaned up first. I don't see that going on here. See, the cleanup operation is the big work of God. I, you can't do it for anybody else, and most of us can't do it for ourselves. God does that heavy lifting. And we want, we want to respond to God's nudging, leading, coaching, mentoring, spiritual growth, maturity. We want to. Why? Because we're requiting. Remember that word? I don't even know if requite is a word, but I know that unrequite is a word. <laughs> we're reciprocating. We're choosing freely like a fish to turn and come back and go with the others. And we end up in an authentic transformation but not because we're not earning God's love. He just loves us. It's just that simple. It's really hard for us to accept that. A couple of things, one really important thing that the Father doesn't do. I, I need to say something about the ring, just the ring. There's lots of stuff he does. The ring, the signet ring, is a symbol of restoration to the family. 
that's what that means. The father restores. He says, remember what he said. Oh, just make me like one of your servants. Dad says, oh, no, no, son, you're back. You're back in the family. Puts a ring on him. So I'm not, I'm saying that that it's not some kind of secondary status. No matter where you've been and what you've done. Many of you can relate. Many of us can relate to this young son who goes wild. One last thing that the father doesn't do. Notice carefully what the father doesn't do. He's running to him, to the kid. The father doesn't shame him. The father doesn't condemn him. His behavior was horrendous. The father loves him. Once again, let that just be. We all know that God helps us mature. But that's not what this is about. This is a story about the heart of God the Father who loves us. Paul said it, I'll repeat it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, think young son squandering wealth, while we were still sinners, he, the Messiah gave his life for us. You are requiting. But here's the secret to the Christian faith. You don't really know how cherished you are until you help someone else experiencing being cherished. So the fish, hey, you're going that way, but come this way. It's unbelievable. When you can help someone else experience the cherishedness of God, that's when we really get it. That's when the loop really closes. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you requiting souls, folks who are reciprocating. You're responding to the love of God that you know in Jesus Christ. Here's a way that you can, you can experience Jesus' love in your life to the fullest by being a conduit of his love to someone else. And I'm going to ask you to think about two kinds of people. I'm going to ask you to think about someone you love And you might have two that come to your mind. You might have one. One is plenty. Someone who you love and who loves you or at least cares deeply for each other. But you know, though, you're you're close to God. They're not. And this is what I want you to do. Go out of your way to make sure you continue your relational bridge with that person. Invite them to go play golf. Invite them to come over your house and have a meal. Just on purpose, just reach out and have lunch or coffee or something. Just checking in. No agenda. Over time, I promise you, the person, if they know you well, they're going to wonder why you were a fish that turned and started going the other way. In a conversation about why all of your faith and your relationship with Jesus matters, it will come up in a natural way in a friendship bridge. That's what I want you to do. You with me? That's, that's a fish that you think is swimming in the other direction, and you love fish. The other kind of person that I think I wanted you to think about is this, and it, it comes from the first parable, lost sheep. Who's, who's a stray? I don't mean, who is a person who is S-T-R-A-Y? Who's strayed off? Who do you not notice? Because, see, if your love if your love is based on having been loved, you're going to notice someone if they've strayed away. 
from any environment. Maybe it's here, maybe it's in your group, maybe it's just your overall relationships. But if there's somebody you think was experiencing faith, but they've strayed away, guess whose job it is to complete the loop of cherishedness by helping them to experience cherish? It's yours. It's mine. It's all of us. Every single one of us has been offered by God the chance to close the love loop by helping someone else know that they're cherished, that they're loved. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to just sit down in the presence of Jesus in whatever way this little video or the parables help. But also I want you to think about someone in your life that you care about who's close to you but far from God or someone in your life who you think was close to God and has strayed away in some fashion. And again, the same thing. Just reach out to them, have lunch, check out. Hey, how you doing? I promise you. God will honor that, and you will know even more deeply that you're cherished, and you'll be even better at looping back around and helping other fish choose to come this direction. The movement is growing. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you cherish us. It's your first move, and everything that we do is always a response to that. Ah, You've loved us. You've cared for us. You take care of us. We thank you that we get to be the people who then in turn get to love others. And we're not doing it on our, our power. You're the one that does the big work. We have our part. Everybody has their part, but you're doing the big part. So help us, gracious God, to be requiting fish as we make our way into our relationships in the world that we might be people who, who help other people know that they've been loved. Who doesn't need to know it? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing this song about the king of the kingdom.